0: So really, our theme over the next number of weeks is going to be unity, but it's the theme name is living together. I've kind of borrowed that and amended it from a, a book written by a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. Um, it's an incredible book. There's some incredible things to, to learn from that, uh, from his teaching. And I've also kind of borrowed some, uh, some insights from uh, Tommy Tenney in a book called God's Dream Team. Uh, again, it's, a, it's, it's all about unity. Um, And it's something that we're going to be looking at in the connect groups. Um, You won't have to endure me all the time. Uh, The messages which I bring are going to be punctuated by guest speakers like Jamie. Uh, We also have um, uh, Stephen Matthew who's going to be with us. And Ron and Joanna Domingo are going to be with us in June. So really excited to hear from these folks as well. Um, so, But it's, it's important that we think about unity. And, you know, when I was thinking about where we would go uh, in the connect groups and church sermons over the next uh, number of weeks, uh, I was really kind of torn between uh, two directions. But I really felt that this is where uh, God was drawing my heart and, and spirit to. And I, I think he's been speaking uh, to me about these things. And, you know, why, why is unity so important? We're going to come to that question in just a little se- a second. But before we do that, I want to read from John chapter 13. And if I can encourage you just to get a hold of your Bible, open it up at John chapter 13, and read through John chapter 13 through to 17. Read through it all, and then just slowly go through it bit by bit over the next number of weeks, just meditate on what, uh, what has been said uh, through what is essentially, mostly, the words of Jesus in this particular part of Scripture. You know, you'll notice that uh, it's Jesus who's speaking, it's Jesus who's praying, and uh, there's so much that we can learn from the Master. He is the Master Teacher, He is the Master Trainer, and we come to really learn from Him today. But let's read from John chapter 13. And quite apt, as we've just kind of passed Easter, but this is what happened in the build-up, in the lead-up to, to Easter. Um, the setting is the, uh, the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples. And it says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love In other translations, it says that he loved them to the end, which I think is probably a more accurate way to put it. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus replied, you do, not really, uh, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, the, then, uh, then, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has, been, uh, has had a bath needs only to wash his feet and his whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean and when he had finished washing their feet he put on the clothes his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i have done for you he asked him you call me teacher and lord and rightly so for that is what i am Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Verse 18 goes on to say I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going To betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. Verse 34, and it's our key verse for today. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Amen. Uh, Incredible words that we find uh, in Scripture here. And Jesus is spending time with his disciples. It's an intimate time, it's an intimate moment. And his prayer for them is that they would love one another. As we go on through the book of John, we realize that he says that they might be one. He, he's praying for oneness for the disciples. And unity is, is so, so important in church life. Our world is looking for something to hang on to, I think. If we think about the state of our world, this, this is a picture which I came across. Uh, it reminds uh, me of a number of years ago, uh, September the 11th, 2001. Everybody can remember where they were on that day. A landmark day. And uh, this, this photograph, there was a German photographer who took this photograph. He didn't realize the significance of the photograph until probably two years after he'd taken it. It became quite a controversial photograph because the people in the foreground are all sitting chatting, very casual, while this catastrophe is happening uh, behind them. Incredible. A time that changed the world it really did. And there was such a backlash to religion because of that event. Our world needs to see some unity, and they need to see it in the church. Our political world, (laughs) well, what can we say? Internal party politics as well as cross-party division. I came across this picture I didn't want to put up something from the UK because I didn't want to be controversial. I didn't want to be coming across as having a political opinion from the platform. This is actually uh, people involved in running a country called Ukraine, and this is them having a big bust up. Obviously, they're disagreeing over something, and uh, it gets to the point where it's fisticuffs. there are people who are leading our nation who are divided, And we know, we we just switch on the TV just now, we watch the news, and we know how divided our nation actually is, whether it's the Scottish nation or the UK as a whole, and we're divided as a nation. And somewhere in amongst all that, the world is looking for somebody who will have a clear voice. The world is looking for something that's stable, that they can hang their hopes on. Socially, as well as division, uh, you know, we have more ways to communicate now than ever we had before. We've got text, emails, Snapchat, private messaging and Facebook, you name it. There's so many ways that we can communicate. I remember when it was just a case of picking up a phone and the phone was actually attached to the wall, right? You could only go so far with the phone, right? Uh, remember, remember the phones where you actually used to have to dial the number and you know, that's how you could learn phone numbers because you had to manually dial them in all the time. I can't remember a single phone number now because I just go into my phone and I press a button and away I go. We have more ways to be connected these days than ever before, but what it's looking like is that we're increasingly disconnected as people. We might have instant communication, but as people, we're becoming disconnected from each other. In society, it's full of broken families, and you might be part of a broken family today. The problem is that this brokenness is entirely normal. And there's just such tremendous pain caused by the brokenness in families. And the world is looking for something to hang their hope upon. They might not be looking to the church, but they should be looking to the church. Because Jesus said here, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. If if society can't look to the church for these things, where do they look? And as much as we have compelling reasons that we've just thought about very briefly, the most compelling reason is Jesus' prayer himself. We need to remember that the words which we have read are in the closing moments of Jesus' life. He sees it all coming. He's distressed in his soul and he's looking for his disciples to be with him. And he prays that his disciples will be one just as he and the Father are one. He prays that we will be one. He prays that the disciples will love one another. Incredible thought. Incredible words. What an incredible prayer that Jesus prays. And we'll come on to that later uh, as we go through this series and we come to later passages in John. One of the analogies of the church that I love uh, is this one where it talks about as being living stones. And there's something really interesting about this, about being living stones. We're not told to be living bricks. Okay, if you turn around and look at that back wall, tell me what you see about the bricks on the wall. Just do me a wee favor, look at the back wall for a second. They're all the same, within reason. I think age is kind of colored some more than others. And you can see where they've used different uh, mixes of mortar uh, and the brickie has maybe been a wee bit inconsistent. The extension's far better, I have to say. But then you go, that's another story all the same jesus never described us as being living bricks who wants to be a brick not me he describes as being living stones and if you look at this image this is of a dry stone dike in denier estate every stone is different not uniform they look different they fit differently and each has a different purpose bricks are man-made stones are made by nature We don't look the same. Take a look around at the people around you. If I had a twin, we could maybe say he looks like me, but I don't have a twin. I look a wee bit like my wee brother. But we're different. You and I are different. We're not uniform. We're not called all to be the same. We have different appearances. We have different education, different backgrounds. We all come from different walks of life. Some have lots of money. Some don't have lots of money. We're all different. We're all coming from different places. We have different experiences. We're gifted in different ways. We're different, 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 different. But Jesus calls us to be one, to love one another, and to be one. I love the fact that we're all different. I love the fact that you're different from me. I get fed up with myself sometimes. Do you ever get fed up with yourself? I get fed up listening to my own voice sometimes. So do you. On a Sunday morning, probably. I am glad that you are different from me. I am glad that I am different from you. But together, as the church, we have something to offer this world when we begin to understand that God has called us for a purpose to be one, to love one another as he has loved us. When I was up in Shetland last year. We went to visit some new friends in Shetland. We made some new friends when they were there, and uh, the chap is called Bertie. And there's a, a bit of a story behind this. He saw a, a little boat sitting, a little wooden kind of rowing boat, a wee clinker-built thing, and he really fancied getting this boat, but it never really happened until two years later. And somebody said, "See that boat? You want that boat?" And he was like, "Oh hi." And what would you do? What would you do with a boat? Just interesting, out of interest. What would you do with a boat? Sail it? Okay. It was a rowing boat, so you would have to kind of get out and use the oars. Here's what Bertie did with his boat. (laughs) He used his boat as the roof for what I now call Bertie's Boathouse. This is a shed like no other, okay? This should feature in some TV program about garden sheds. You know how as men love sheds, like our man cave, our place to go. One of the things that struck me as I was thinking about today is that in this boathouse, somebody took stones that were all different but had a vision and had a purpose in mind and was able to place each stone exactly where it needed to go in order to create this phenomenal structure. Each of us are living stones if you're part of god's family you are a living stone and god calls us to fit into the body somewhere and to find our place all of us different and yet having purpose especially as we come together you know sometimes you've probably been here as well i've been here at many times where you're like you're praying and you're like god what is your will for my life and we want to hear the voice of God, we want some direction, we want to know where we're going, how often do we pray, God, what is your will for our lives? Corporately, together, as a church, what is your will for us? What is your purpose for us? I think we need to begin to pray these prayers. And so, Jesus is praying for his disciples that they would love one another as he has loved us, So he calls us to love one another. That's a tall order because Jesus died for us. Jesus gave his life for us. And he asks us to do the same for each other. Wow, are we there yet? Like the wee voice in the back of the car. Are we there yet? No, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. Are you there yet? Am I ready to give my life? For some of you, I've never been tested in that way before. Never been tested. What would I do? What would you do if we found ourselves in that position? Would we be willing to do that? Would we be willing? Hmm, interesting question. And Jesus is here with his disciples. And it's a difficult time for Jesus. It's the Last Supper. And we need to pause for a moment to consider... Jesus' words, this is, let's start and let's look through some of these uh, verses of Scripture. This is the first one from John chapter 13. This one, uh, sorry, is from the New King James Version, uh, the one that's up on the screen, different version in my notes, but we'll read this one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end We begin to see the demonstration of Jesus' love for us. And it starts at this moment. We read that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And we'll come back to that in a minute. We read that Jesus identified and drew out his betrayer. And let's think about that just for a little moment. Imagine this scenario where you know that your disciples are going to run away. You know that one is going to turn his back on you. And you know that one is going to betray you. And it's into this in this context that, that Jesus is speaking. Verse eleven says, "For he knew who was going to betray him." He already knew who was going to betray him. Verse eighteen, he says, "He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me." And if you look in the notes in your Bible, it'll refer you back to Sam, uh, sorry, Sam, chapter forty-one, verse nine, which is written. Uh, Hundreds of years before, a thousand years before uh, this event took place. And Jesus quotes this psalm, a close friend of David, Ahithophel, his name is, and he betrayed David. And if you read in 2 Samuel 15 through to 17, you'll see what happened to to this man who betrayed Jesus. He says, He who has shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me we read that Jesus washed the disciples feet we read that passage he wash, he, he, he got himself down and washed the disciples feet, I'm not going to wash anybody's feet, but I need somebody to come up and help me with, with a little illustration um, Josh would you come and help me thank you can always rely on Josh to be picked on eh? watch this Watch this. Sit down please Josh. Imagine Josh is Judas. Sorry. <laughs> and Jesus is coming to wash his feet. What does he do? What does he do? He lifts his heel and he begins to wash his feet. Josh's got another pair of socks just like this in the house by the way. And he washes Judas's feet. He has to actually hold the heel, figuratively speaking, that would crush him. The heel that was raised against him. Thank you, Josh. You can go and sit down again. Take that chair with you, please. Thank you. Imagine having to hold the heel, figuratively speaking, that was going to crush you. This man whom it says that Satan entered into him. Verse 27 says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do... Do quickly, Jesus told him. And here's the thing about this moment the Last Supper, the last moments of Jesus' life. In this moment, we read that the devil comes into the room. Do you know the only way the devil can get a seat at our table is if one of us invites him? That's an incredible thing. The only way the devil can get a seat at our table. As if somebody invites him. And nothing causes disunity like the devil getting an invite. And we can do that in all sorts of ways. Psalm 23 talks about how God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And if you look at the life of Jesus, where did he live, breathe, minister? In the presence of those who were against him very easy to be a Christian in church it's less easy to be a Christian in the places where people are against you but God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies but the enemy is not invited to sit at the table with us the enemy can only watch as we feast on the things of God what or who, what or who are we inviting into our lives and do we inadvertently perhaps give the devil a foothold without realizing it. Let me tell you from experience, my experience, that we do. We give the devil a foothold without even realizing that we're doing it. And it's worth looking at the life of Judas. Go back and and do a study on the life of Judas. Judas entertained evil thoughts. And if you notice in verse 2, it says that Judas was prompted by the devil. He was prompted by the devil. The enemy wants to get into our minds. He wants to get into our thinking. You know, Peter may have denied Jesus, but his heart was in the right place. He may have turned his back on Jesus, but he didn't turn his heart against Jesus. What happened at that moment when the the rooster crowed? He denied him three times. And what happened in the moment when the rooster crowed? He wept. He realized what he had done, and his heart was broken. And we read how Peter is reinstated. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? (sighs) Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, go and feed my sheep. I remember that Skit Guys video. we have showed it a few times in the church. And I just found it so powerful. Go tell, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was reinstated because he never turned his heart against Jesus. He might have turned his back for a moment, but he never turned his heart against Jesus. And maybe some of us maybe need to be challenged by that. Maybe there are times when we turn our back on Jesus. There are times when we miss opportunities. There are times where we feel like we've denied him. And then we go, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Feed my sheep, Peter. Go and feed my sheep. Judas's situation was entirely different. Judas came to a tragic end. And today, we need to find a place in us where we don't harden our hearts against the plans and purposes that God has for us. Don't harden. We've not to harden our hearts against what God is doing in the fellowship either. And we continue to read on in this passage how Judas left the room. How can light... Have fellowship with darkness. Think about this. If we're in a dark room, what happens when we switch on the light? It becomes light. The darkness disappears. You can't have darkness and light exist at the same time. There may be different levels of light, but they don't exist at the same time. We have to love our enemies, we have to pray for our enemies. We have to bless and not curse our enemies, but we're never asked to be one with our enemies. Light and darkness can't have fellowship together. And Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be one. You read that further on in the book of John, as he and the father are one, that they should be one. And it's not that we want to keep people in darkness, what we're saying as Christians is we're inviting people out of darkness into light. The Bible says that before we were Christians, we were in darkness, and then we became light. We need to understand that as long as we are pursuing the call of God in our lives, as long as we're serving Jesus, the enemy in one form or another or another will be hot on our heels. We read in verse 31 that Judas left. And after he was gone, it says, after he was gone. And the things that we begin to open up today happen after Judas left. Light and darkness don't mix. And Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this All men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Let me read a few more verses from John. I'm going to skip forward a few chapters to chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man uh, than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15, verse 17. This is my command. Here it comes again. Love each other. And then lastly, John chapter 17, verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the, the love you have for me will be in them and that I myself will be in them. But the secret of the Christian life, and it's no secret in one sense, is how do we put these things into practice? How do we love one another? And it's, I, I think it's one of the key principles that we need to grasp uh, as Christians. We cannot live the Christian life without Christ. That maybe sounds really obvious, doesn't it? but it's possible to try and live the Christian life without Christ. How do we love our enemies? We just talked about that there. How do we love our enemies? That's impossible. The only way we can love our enemies is if the love of Christ lives in us first. We're not called to live the Christian life on our own. We're called to live it in relationship With Christ. And it's that relationship with Christ that draws us together as those living stones, all different, different walks of life, different backgrounds, different giftings. That's what draws us together. And it's that love that He has put within us that allows us to love one another. I'm going to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together. He says Christian community means community through jesus christ and in jesus christ there is no christian community that is more than this and none that is less than this whether it be a brief single encounter think about the moments when you go in and you visit somebody who's not getting to church christian community happens when you come together you maybe read the bible together you maybe pray together something happens in that moment whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily community of many years. Christian community is solely this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we don't have that connection. If anything, it's like the the mortar that goes between the bricks. He is the one that joins us together. He is the one that we communicate through, that we meet through. And it's the life of Christ in each of us that we identify with in the other person. If we don't have Christ, then we're not in true Christian community. We can be friends, but we cannot be brothers and sisters till Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gave us a very powerful example of how to put this into practice. And we read it in that passage. And you need to imagine for a second, if it helps you to close your eyes but don't fall asleep, okay? Some of you had a late night last night, I can tell. Just imagine the roads in Palestine for a minute. They're not like our tarmacked roads. Get rid of every example of a road that you can think of and imagine a dusty, mucky road. And on this road, not only do people travel because they didn't have cars in those days, the animals travel as well. And as cars have exhaust fumes, (laughs) animals also have exhausts, okay? Fuel in, rubbish out, okay? And if you think about what was on the roads of the day, And here are the disciples walking along the road to get to the Last Supper. And they don't have the latest Gore-Tex boots, which keep your feet nice and dry and clean, keep the smells in (laughs) if you're so inclined. They have open-toed sandals. And think about what's getting mixed in with the dust as Jesus comes to wash the disciples' feet. It's getting less and less pleasant all the time, isn't it? Can you picture what's in between the disciples' toes? (laughs) And it's into this setting that Jesus takes a towel he wraps it round himself he takes a basin and he begins to go and to wash the disciples feet to wash off the muck to wash off the dung to wash off the dust and all the things that caused them to be unclean before they sit at the table and as I think about this, as I think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it makes me think sometimes about the things that we can come into God's presence with. We come and we take communion today and I think about the things that we bring in and maybe the things that Jesus needs to take in relation to us when he lifts our foot and washes it, figuratively speaking, when he needs to wash us clean. The things that we bring into God's presence, where there's no room for them, really. Think about our ego and how overinflated it become. It can become our desire for position and for power, and then our own self and our self-will, the things that get in the way, the, the stuff that gets onto our lives that Jesus needs to come and wash off of us. And in this moment, Jesus, it says that he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And it's in his security, in his relationship with the Father, he knows the Father, he and the Father are one. There is this continual communication This communication that brings strength and Jesus doesn't operate in his own power. He tells us that he had the Spirit without measure. The Holy Spirit living within him without measure. And then in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 we read that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I wonder if we put ourselves on the servant scale where we would figure. Let me put up the servant scale on the screen. On the left, number one, people exist to serve me. I am the person who needs to be served in church life, and everybody will run after me. Or do we find ourselves at number ten, I exist to serve others. Where? on the servant scale, do you think Jesus was? I think he was all the way at number 10. In fact, he probably went 10 plus VAT, right? He was 10 plus, okay? Because he showed us something that was incredible and, you know, how could we ever live up to that? But think about this. Jesus showed us an example. He said that we had to love each other as he had loved us. How did he love the disciples well this is how it started it started by him taking on the form of a servant by washing his disciples feet he started at number 10 and he continued at number 10 10 plus because it didn't finish here it went on to being in the garden it went on to him praying and being so intense in his prayer and so moved physically that it says that it His sweat was like blood coming out of his skin. He said, Father, if there's another way, can we please explore the other way? But nevertheless, if this is your way, then let your will be done. Not my will, but your will. You see, sometimes we want our will to be done. But it's not about your will or my will. It's about his will and what God wants for us. Where do we fit on the servant scale? I don't know where you would place yourself. Sometimes, do you know, if I'm being honest, sometimes I want to be right here. Sometimes I want to be there. I want people to come and get alongside me and serve me. Yeah, do you? Fair enough. There's a time, there's a time where you need somebody to come along And get alongside you when you're at number one and you think i have had enough i need some people to come along and help me and that's fair enough because there are times when we need other people to get alongside us that's the beauty of being in fellowship that's the beauty of being a living stone alongside other living stones where they can come and help us and support us we need to be in that place sometimes we're superhuman and we're at number 10 And we're full of energy and we're serving the church and we want to serve other people and get alongside and help other people. And that's great as well. And most of the time we're somewhere in between. But can I encourage you that when Jesus says love one another as I have loved you, he's talking about being at number 10. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about you learning how to serve other people, serve the world that we live in, not to be served, but to serve others. And in the process In the process, we find that others begin to serve us because it's a mutual thing. It's not just all one way. And how do we do this? The only way that we can really do this is by God living within us. Galatians 5, 22, 23 puts it so clearly. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If we are to love, we need to have the Holy Spirit living within us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We can only do this if God lives within us through his Spirit. A new command I give you, love one another. You see, we need to take note of what Jesus is saying here. It's not an optional extra. It's not if we feel like it. It's not, let's agree on the theology aspects of it. It's a command, plain and simple. It is that simple. It's a command. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. To what extent do we put this into practice? Well, who's our example? It's not other human beings who we can compare ourselves against. And we go, well, I'm better than that person. Maybe today you are. Maybe tomorrow you won't be. We're not comparing ourselves against each other. We're comparing ourselves to a far higher standard. We're comparing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as Jesus entered into the closing moments of his life on earth, this is what concerned him. Love one another. And what do we know about the love of God for a broken world? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it very clearly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we still had the stench of the road on our lives, while we were still in that place where we were unclean, Christ died for us. That's what's so incredible about the gospel message. Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. By this... All men will know that you're my my disciples if you have love one for another. Not by exercising spiritual gifts or having great revelations and knowledge. Not by good works, but by a love for one another. Jack Hayford says that love is the motive for the gifts and the method by which they are uh, to be conveyed. Love. It comes back to love because the Bible says in First John, I think it is, God is love. Love one another. Do you feel loved today? It's a kind of rhetorical question because there are some times where we don't feel loved. Do you think Jesus felt loved in that moment where his disciples ran away and left him? Where he looked over at Peter after that rooster crowed? And Peter realized what he'd done. Do you think Jesus felt loved? Do you think Jesus felt loved when Judas came up to him in the garden, came up to him and and gave him a kiss to betray him into the hands of those who would take (coughs) Jesus? Do you think he felt loved? I don't think he did. But the crucial question is do you love others? It says in that passage that Jesus loved them to the very end. Jesus loved them to that moment where he said on the cross, it is finished. How do we demonstrate the love of God for other people? The Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wonder if we can bow our heads just as we draw our service to a close. Musicians, could you come back up, please? Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Our time has gone. I'd encourage you, if today's message has spoke to you, that you come and uh, just grab me at the end and uh, we can have a chat a bit more and, and pray for you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what we've read today, we, we realize that he has just given us this new command, command number eleven, as it were, to love one another, to love one another completely. And Father, we pray that you would help us to really hear what you want to say to us today, because your voice, it's what you say to us that we really want to hear. Help us to appreciate just how much you love us. And Father, help us to express that same love towards our brothers and sisters. Father, to those who are outside of the church as well, who don't know you yet. Father, people who we're praying for, who are still in darkness, that we want to come into the light. Father, we pray that you would draw people into the light. And Father, just as, as I say that, the image that comes back to my mind again is as sitting around a fire. And as we sit around the fire, not only the pictures of a kind of a dark room, there's no other lights in it other than the fire. And the picture is of people just gathering around the fire. And it's a place of light, but it's also a place of warmth. And the place that we want to be is around the fire. We want to be gathered around it just to be part of what's happening. And there are people who feel that they're kind of uh, on the outside, that they're kind of a bit further away from the fire. And they they just want to be part of coming into that place uh, of just kind of huddling around with other people around the fire. Fire kind of represents God's presence, represents the Holy Spirit, represents the the work of God. And and we gather around that. And not only do we get light from that, we, we get understanding, but we also feel the warmth of fellowship as well. And there are some people who feel that they're kind of standing uh, just outside of the light. They're outside of what's happening. And I really feel God is just inviting you to come in. It's not that he wants you to be there. He's just saying, come in today and, and just draw closer to the center of what God is doing. And just to experience his presence, to experience his light that he wants to bring into your life, to experience uh, just that freshness of, of, of fellowship and, and that warmth of uh, brotherly and sisterly love. And he's just welcoming, he, he just wants to welcome you in. It's just that picture I have today. And so, Father, we just pray for, for each one of us. Lord, we're all at different stages in our Christian life, different uh, levels of, of understanding. And Lord, we just pray for each of us that you would draw us closer into the light and draw us closer to yourself and closer into fellowship with one another. Lord, we pray, help us to think creatively this week about how we can demonstrate the love of God for other people. Lord, maybe it'll be picking up a phone to encourage someone, sending a card, sending some flowers, sending a text. Father, just help us to know how to really get alongside each other and to encourage one another. We pray your blessing on this. Uh, word and upon this congregation and uh, lord we just pray that you'd really move in our hearts today lord may we respond to all that you're saying to us in in the very depths of our being today in jesus name we ask amen (coughs)